0: Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear, and then we talk about it. This is page 308. So I slogged my way through the deserted streets, eventually coming to the alley behind the butcher's shop. It was the first time I could remember the stairway not smelling of rancid fat. I knocked on Debbie's door, alarmed by how numb my hand was. I could barely feel my knuckles hitting the door. I waited for a long moment, then knocked again, worried that she might not be in and I'd come all this way for nothing. The door opened just a little. Warm lamplight and a single icy blue eye peered out through the crack. Then the door opened wide. "Tailor's tits and teeth, Devi said. What are you doing out in this? I-, I thought, no, you didn't, she said disparagingly. Get in here. I stepped inside, dripping, the hood of my cloak plastered to my head. She closed the door behind me, then locked and bolted it. Looking around, I noticed she'd added a second bookshelf, though it was still mostly bare. I shifted my weight, and a great mass of damp slush dislodged itself from my cloak and splattered wetly onto the floor. Devi gave me a long, dispassionate looking over. I could see a fire crackling in the grate on the other side of the room near her desk, but she made no indication that I should come any farther into the room. So I remained where I was, dripping and shivering. You never do things the easy way, do you? She said. There's an easy way? I asked. She didn't laugh. If you think showing up here half-frozen and looking like a kicked dog is going to improve my disposition towards you, you're terribly- She trailed off and looked at me thoughtfully for another long moment. I'll be damned, she said, sounding surprised. I actually do like seeing you like this. It's lifted my spirits to an almost irritating degree. It really wasn't my intention, I said, but I'll take it. Would it help if I caught a terrible cold? Devi considered it. It might, she admitted. Penance does involve a certain amount of suffering. I nodded, not having to work to look miserable. I dug into my purse with clumsy fingers and brought out a small bronze coin I'd won off Sim, playing low-stakes breath several nights ago. Devi took it. A penance piece, she said, unimpressed. Is this supposed to be symbolic? I shrugged, causing more slush to spatter to the floor. Somewhat, I said. I thought of going to a money changer and settling my entire debt with you in penance coin. That's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. I like the. This scene is fun because. I like the world building. This scene is. (laughs) You (laughs) fucking bastard! (laughs) You absolute prick! Go ahead, Jeremy. We
1: gubshate you. I like the world-building detail of the penance coin. And this is another example of something we were talking about before, like good exposition that does not feel expository because we're learning that, oh, there's like this custom in this world that when you like owe somebody an apology or you have to do penance for them, you give them a coin as like a symbol of that. But they don't, lay that out for us in those terms. They don't say, and this is what a penance coin is, and this is what it means. We just learn that through the context of what's happening in the scene.
0: I almost wonder if this concept is going to be more important in the next book, and this is Rothfuss sneaking it in, like how he sneaks in a line or two about Puppet in the first book, and a line or two about the Adam way before he reaches the Adam in uh, the next one, or in this one.
1: Maybe, but even if he doesn't, I just think it's like a really good piece of world building.
0: This is a nice scene because these are two characters who like each other too much to stay mad at one another. And it's really nice after the kind of stressful undertaking of the last quarter of the book to have a scene that's really just these people who like can't stay mad at each other. And they start to banter and quip and joke together almost immediately and and it's just really nice. And like the metaphor of her warming up to him as she slowly begins to bring him closer to the fire is really fun and well-realized.
1: There's something on this page I thought Nick would be really mad about. There's a Swifty on this page that like actually like-
0: There's many.
1: There's one that's particularly bad.
0: Disparagingly?
1: No, wetly. I thought that was super dumb because, of course, slush is wet. Like, what on earth are you putting the word wetly in there for? No, wetly is good because it's like a visceral, like, feeling word. Like, when something goes wetly, that's different from it going dryly.
0: Nothing "shloops" yeah. dryly. You can't "shloop" dryly.
1: Guess again, Jordana.
0: I don't mind adverbs in general. It's, it's when they get tagged onto they said somethingly over and over and over that it becomes too much.
1: And no, wetly really bothers me because it's like slush is wet. Duh.
0: Uh, I think disparagingly is more egregious than wetly, referring to the slush falling, but I'm willing to let these things slide like a pack of slush.
1: It is good characterization. I think that it's very clear that Debbie is fronting a bit, that she, she's putting on a tough guy act. But she she can't keep it up for too long. Although she is like, I think it's also true that she's still mad at him. But she's not so mad at him that she doesn't actually ever want to see him again.
0: Yeah, and I think she is kind of charmed by him doing this song and dance.
1: He is also just like a sad puppy, right? He just like walked a mile in like a blizzard, and his clothes are so wet that she tells him on the next page to just like go get changed. Like she gives him like a robe. I feel like we in the modern era with all of our many conveniences like we've really solved the problem of like clothes getting wet in snow you know like all of our winter coats are like waterproof now it's not very common that you are that you are like are out in a snowstorm and it's so wet and gross that you have to change out of your clothes
0: yes they don't have uh, windbreakers and waterproof clothes here
1: yeah they don't have like mount you know mountain equipment co-op parkas they don't have a North Face jacket.
0: Yeah, which is no longer a co-op, I guess. Yeah, like, yeah, it's very, it's very um, bad. It's very bad. We can't have nice things because of capitalism. Yes, very upsetting. That's true. Anyway, we are now sponsored What's... by Amazon. By the way, in the last <laughs> conversation, while we were having that conversation, we got bought by Amazon. So can we're not Amazon, Amazon buy production. something that like barely uh, makes money? Is that does that make sense? Can they do that? Yeah,
1: they'll buy us and downsize us. They'll fire you and me, and Nick will have to run the whole thing on his own.
0: You know, we'll get uh, we'll use Amazon Mechanical Turk to get a, uh, a co-host. You know, at I'm sorry, I asked. We're
1: tangenting. This is, can we please go back to the page?
0: This is what's called a lost leader, Jordana.
1: Once you start down the tangent path, forever will it dominate your podcast. Consume it. It will.
0: You see, this is a a lost leading narrowcast. We hook the very specific listeners with our uh, targeted content, and then we bring them into the larger ecosystem. And of course, we gather their metadata. Anyway, Jordana, uh, you you are being replaced by outsourced labor. Yes, an Azerbaijani podcast host.
1: You can't replace me with the interns? That's not fair.
0: No, the, the interns are also being replaced by AI. AI interns.
1: Oh, I see what's happening.
0: <laughs> a interns. I do have something else to say on the page in, in a non-bit, and that is that I I take the reference to Devi's shelf Space growing as an indication that she is uh, seeing success, and that what she spends her money on is books.
1: Yeah, she's acquiring more knowledge. That seems right to me. And she's trying to like she's trying to make up for the fact that she can't access the archives, right? She's trying to purchase the knowledge that she can't get from the archives.
0: There's something she's after, right? Like she, like quoth, is after some specific knowledge that's hidden in the archives, and she is, you know, she, like quoth can't get into it, so this is her other way of doing it, and I think I've posited before that Debbie wants something as badly or if not more so than Quoth does, and yes, some people give her them books to settle her debt, but I think that she's trying to assemble a library. Jeremy's doing a a finger
1: well, it just occurred to me maybe we should be paying attention to the kinds of books that she's acquiring, right when they like give us a name or a title of a book. We should be paying attention to what kind of book it is because maybe that will give us a clue if you are the kind of reader who likes to look for clues. Jeremy, are you positing that we close read? I'm positing that you do it. And then I'll tell you if you were right or not.
0: I have a new take on the Proprioception book, which ties into our conversation earlier about why she reacted so poorly to being malfeasanced, held by Quoth is that proprioception, again, being like your sense of your own body might be affected if you are being the recipient of malfeasance. If someone is holding you, maybe that affects your proprioception or maybe your ability to do proprioception can counteract it. So maybe she has an interest in what the body does when it's under the influence of sympathy, and that's why she's reading about proprioception. Also, uh, Patrick Knott Rothfuss points out that she's into alchemy as well. Cool, 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 cool.
1: I'm sort of interested in the penance piece, but I'm not sure that there's anything really there. Like why does, why the penance piece? Why this detail? I think the why is it's a cool piece of world building. Okay, that's enough for me. It gives Quoth a fun piece of business to do by like giving her a coin. Gives him like some blocking.
0: It's also perhaps a con- uh, a concept that may return. The coin that Auri gives him, or gave him, he's actually already received it, is shaped like an Aturin penance piece, but is silver. So Quoth, in his possession, in Name of the Wind, he, he was given this this coin and has apparently forgotten about it, uh, but it is shaped like an turn Aturin penance piece. Which
1: tells us that you can't just give anyone a coin as a penance piece. You know, traditionally, it seems that there's a specific coin minted for that purpose.
0: But it may come back into play. We do have another letter from listener Eric, and it is on the false Ra Troop. And I know we declared a moratorium on Ra Conversations yesterday, but I think if we can just accept this take as it was submitted in good faith and then try not to redredge up the old animosities. Eric writes, Hi, Pagers. On page 283, you discussed the idea that the false Ra Troop near the end of the book could be more common and Quoth's troop were outliers. I don't think we hear much of other Ra from Quoth's childhood, but we do know that they had a patron in Lord Greyfallout. It's possible that he happened to be a more progressive or open-minded person, but the more likely scenario is that in some areas of the world, the Ra are simply traveling performers and aren't universally hated or feared. Kvothe's family and troupe were obviously well-known enough to catch the eye of a lord and for him to want to pay for them to stay at his estate once a year or so to perform for him and his guests. Just wanted to throw my two cents in there as I noticed this wasn't mentioned during the discussion. Thank you for all the work you do in your daily escape from the weary world. Best, Eric.
1: You know what, Eric? That's a good point, and it... It leads me to a further note that I think will will further put the kibosh on the idea that Cloth's family might have been actually bad, uh, which is that if they're patronized by an aristocrat, then what they do reflects on him. So he wouldn't have given them his patronage if he didn't think that they'd be good for his reputation rather than bad for it. Right. And we know that because... Manit and Quoth and the, the gang have talked extensively about like what the relationship between a patron and their troop is like. And the point of patronizing a troop from the aristocrat's perspective is that they make you look good to the common folk, right? So if it became known or if it came out that actually that troop was like thieves and malcontents, then he wouldn't have patronized them.
0: Very reasonable. We're very
1: reasonable people on this podcast. I don't know about that. We will continue to be reasonable on tomorrow's page of the wind.